comes in later, we'll just let them in at the time they join us. All right. Sounds great. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, hopefully, you have the agenda um, in front of you. And so, uh, we're going to start with um, Britt and her um, long speech. Good afternoon, BERT members. This is Britt Kramkano, City Economic Development Administrator, and I am going to start with our special Zoom instructions. So thank you, Madam Chair. Um, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, I may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of the listening of those listening remotely. You can turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, when you are not participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. You will still be able to listen to the meeting when your video is off. You'll just have to remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating will help make sure that the active meeting participants can be seen on the screen. In some cases, I may turn someone's video off if they are not actively participating to avoid distraction during the meeting. You can always turn your video back on during the meeting. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Board members and city staff members, you must state your name and title each time you speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Uh, Madam Chair, you will then need to announce whether the motion carried, you, you will need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right of their screen. For those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you're called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff present will direct you to, to the podium to speak uh, following social distancing and safety protocols. Um, the regular three minute time limit will apply. Thank you. That was a long one. <laughs> that was a long one, yeah. yeah. 
All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, the first thing on our agenda is to approve the April 12th, 21 meeting minutes. Um, so hopefully everybody has been able to review those. Um, is there any um, changes on those that anybody wants to mention? All right, do we have a motion? Hello, Michelle. This is John Matthews. I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes. Second. All right. Second. Second. Patrick Kelly. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. All right. Do a roll call vote um, to uh, vote on um, accepting the April 12, 2021 minutes as presented. Uh, Brad? I'm in, I'm in favor. Christina? Aye. John? Aye. Kate? Aye. Patrick? Aye. And I am an aye. So with six, four, and uh, no nays, um, we are approving the minutes from the April 12th, 2021 minutes. Uh, meeting, excuse me, meeting. So uh, next item on the agenda is uh, to review the 2020 annual report, um, which Britt has put together. So I'm going to pass it on over to Britt. Thank you, Madam Chair. This is Britt Crumcano, Economic Development Administrator for the city. And I'm gonna start by sharing my screen so you can see the uh, PowerPoint. Okay, you should all see the um, front cover of our new 2020 economic development uh, report. Uh, we do this report every single year. And for those who are new, um, we'll kind of go over what this report is all about. And for those who are not new, it'll be kind of a, a refresher on what this is, uh, this is all about. So, um, so what is the annual economic development report? It's a comprehensive review of all of our active economic development programs and the participating projects. This report this year, I think, was about 140-some pages, and it covers, again, all of our programs, what projects are participating. It covers the performance, how these projects are performing, and any accomplishments. And then at the end of the report, we get into a lot of um, investment and return on investment information. The way it's uh, organized is it at the front, it kind of starts out more on a higher level. And then towards the end in the appendices, we get into the details for those of you who like numbers and um, getting in the weeds. Uh, why is the report needed? Um, transparency. We want to provide a complete picture to our citizen investors. This is public money that has been invested in these projects and we want them to know where it's been invested and how it's doing. Um, the, uh, it also tracks, uh, it aids us when, it's, when it comes to tracking and monitoring the incentive program effectiveness so we can see how things are doing. And it provides us data for our community goals. So uh, uh, at one point in time, this report was only, I don't know, 10 or 11 pages and it just covered tax abatements. Now we cover all of our programs. So pretty much, I think everything is in this report. If anybody wants to go in and take a look. 
Um, we use it to educate and inform, especially uh, the public who may not understand about our incentive programs. They are kind of complex. Um, again, to support transparency, we have links to all the uh, regulating documents in Appendix A. So if they want to read about all the um, documents and agreements that we have on these programs, they can easily go in and, and uh, find that data. Gives us financial de details and again, investment returns, helps us evaluate our outcomes annually and also in the long term. And then it also provides a historical record of what we've been doing. And believe me, as we get, as we add more and more of these programs and projects, um, I have to use it to reference back to see exactly what we provided. A lot of these programs are very long lived. And so um, it gives us a good history to keep referencing back to if we need to. So just a little overview on the different economic development programs. Most of our programs are what are called pay as you go or pay go programs. This is where uh, the uh, developer or the property owner, they front the expenses uh, for the project and then they get paid back over time through the uh, tax revenues that are generated by that project. So if it's a project that generates sales tax, they can capture some of that sales tax over time to help pay them back or the same for property taxes. Uh, so property tax abatements, industrial revenue bonds, neighborhood revitalization areas, tax increment financing and transportation development districts, those are all what we call pay-go programs. We also have a few direct support programs for economic development. This is primarily money we give to our outside economic development agencies, such as the Chamber and EDC, uh, the Bioscience and Technology Business Center, which is now the KU Innovation Park, and then Peasley Tech. Occasionally in the past, we have provided small grants to help um, existing companies if they're going to maybe move um, or relocate to the community. Uh, we've also done some help with infrastructure. We've provided employee training grants for workforce development and uh, also affordable housing assistance. So those are usually much smaller in amounts and because there are there are money that we really have to dig out of our pocket for at that particular point in time, whereas the PAYGO programs are ones that, again, the 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 improvements are fronted by the developer and then get paid back over time by the project's tax revenues. Okay, so with property tax abatements, we have we have two avenues for property tax abatements. One is the Catalyst Property Tax Abatement, which has been a very, very popular program. It was initially started to help us um, fill uh, Lawrence Venture Park. Before this program started, we were having a hard time getting anybody in. And then once we got the uh, Catalyst Property Tax Abatement package going, we got our first um, we got our first building, which is the Van Trust Phase One building, and then from there we have just really been going great guns in terms of filling that park. So much so that now it's on our radar of what what do we do when we run out of space because we we really are 
um, getting a lot of projects out there. So we have the Van Trust Phase 1 and 2. 2 is the new pretzels project that if you've driven by there, you've probably seen that new building. Uh, Plasticon and, and uh, Grandstand are both located in East Hills Business Park, but they're, they've used this project for expansion uh, of their facilities. And as their businesses have grown, we've been able to help them along as well. U.S. Engineering is a new project going out there. Again, if you've, if you've driven into the park, you can probably see construction going on in there. And then Standard Beverage is, is one catalyst project. It's not in Lawrence Venture Park, but it is an existing company that has taken advantage of this program. So we have several of those catalyst projects. Then we have what I'm calling the non-catalyst property tax abatements. Um, Grandstand, the original building, uh, used a, a, a non-catalyst property tax abatement. Uh, Sunlight Science and Technology, this was a graduate out of our BTBC uh, business park that uh, wanted to start its, uh, wanted to locate its own company into one of the, I think it was a vacant building at the time. And they're still going. Uh, Rock Chalk Park had utilized this. Um, and then recently the Heartland Community Health Clinic uh, has, uh, has gotten uh, the authorization for a property tax abatement to, um, to build out the new clinic, to relocate the clinic. So one of the things uh, that we do with all of our economic development programs is we do a significant amount of due diligence up front. And I think that makes a lot of difference in terms of, of weeding out projects that are not going to give us a good return. So that when we do see how these are performing, we've got some really good performers. If you look at um, the companies with the non-catalyst property tax abatements, you can see that the real property investment is up 387% over what was originally projected. Full-time employment is up 119%. Uh, the company wages are up 184%. If you look at the average private sector wage in Lawrence compared to the company wages, you can see that there is a significant uh, difference between uh, what was projected and what was delivered, uh, projected at 34000 a year and delivered uh, over uh, almost uh, 62, 62 $62,000 um, when it comes to the company wages. And then, of course, our wage floor, if you're familiar with that, that just sets the absolute lower limit for wages based on a... a, a federal poverty level for a family of three. And again, you can see that what these companies deliver is significantly higher than what the wage floor is. So in 2020, it was at 27,700 and some dollars. Okay, all of these companies, uh, they don't get 100% tax abatement. So they, they do uh, still, there is still some property tax revenue that goes on the tax rolls. By state statute, property tax uh, abatements can only last for 10 years. So it's in the short term, it helps get those projects established. In the long term, they come fully on the tax rolls and that's when the real payoff is realized.
Industrial revenue bonds or IRBs. This is a conduit financing mechanism used. Uh, it can be either be used in association with a property tax abatement or to get a sales tax exemption on project materials, project construction materials. There's no liability for the city to purchase or pay back the bonds, and there's no obligation for the city to finance the project. So in 2020, we had seven outstanding and three approved that had not yet been issued. Neighborhood revitalization area. This is a tool that helps us with a lot of um, revitalization projects. Uh, it's a tax rebate is how it works. It's given as a percentage of the incremental increase in property value resulting from the improvements. Um, so the one of the important things to understand is the property, the base property or what it was valued at prior to getting the NRA is shielded from the rebate. So the taxing jurisdictions continue to get at least that amount of property tax revenue during the whole term of the rebate. And then again, once the rebate uh, falls off, we have a substantially increased property value that's on the tax rolls. So in 2020, we had eight approved and we had seven rebates. The rebates amounted to 684,000. And um, again, the other thing is the city, county, and the school district all have to vote and decide separately if they're going to participate in these. So just uh, some comparisons, especially compared to the base. If you look at the base property and what it would have been valued, and then what we have uh, retained, um, we, we're getting, right now, we're getting some really decent uh, returns, but these should really skyrocket when, uh, again, these properties go fully back on the tax rolls because typically before they're they're uh, renovated, they're not they're not bringing very much at all. And tax increment financing it works a little bit like an NRA. It also works um, on the property tax increment. Uh, it can also be used to capture sales tax. If the project has some uh, retail in it or something that would generate sales tax, it can also be used to help capture a portion of that as well as a portion of the property tax. We have um, three TIFs, uh, the downtown 2000 one, the Oread, and the 9th and New Hampshire one. Uh, the 9th in New Hampshire one has two projects. The North project is at 888 New Hampshire, and the South project is at 900 New Hampshire. Uh, in 2020, we had about 1.2 million in distributions. Um, on some of the projects, the city has uh, retains some additional monies. Uh, it has to do with the 9th in New Hampshire TIF districts, according to agreement and the city had retained about 157,000 to date on those. Transportation Development Districts, or TDDs, these typically work by adding an extra sales tax um, on top of what the regular sales tax is, and then that particular percentage is captured to again help pay back uh, transportation-related infrastructure uh, for that particular project. We had three, um, well, actually, we, yeah, we had three TDDs in 2020, Bauer Farms or Free State, the Oread TDD, and the 9th in New Hampshire. 
In 2020, our distributions were at 416,500, and the city retained to date about 256,500. Overall performance for paid go programs in 2020 for every dollar in public sector assistance given to pay go projects, $6.09 were uh, leveraged in private se sector capital invest investment. I think I mentioned our direct support programs are mainly to assist our outside economic development agencies. So here's those three agencies. You can see the amount that the city has provided and also the county as well uh, is a partner in supporting them. The other information in the report, uh, Appendix A, if you wanna go into that online, um, this report is posted online. There's links to all the um, ordinances, resolutions, agreements related to these projects. So if you wanna read in detail about those. Appendix B is all the financial data and you can read how much we have paid off this year as well as past years. Um, Appendix C, we kind of include some historical data for those that have uh, expired in terms of their um, ab abatement or, or uh, incentive. And um, so we have, we can kind of keep track of them. We have an Appendix D here for county specific programs. You've wanted to read a little bit more about what they are doing. Appendix E is just any supplemental information. And Appendix F is kind of, um, uh, economic metrics, if you will, economic indicators as to what's going on. So you can kind of see if you're interested in that as well. So again, you can find our report on our website, lawrenceks.org forward slash ed, and uh, just click on it and you can scroll through it and uh, read to your heart's content. Probably good reading, bedroom reading material. So... <laughs> So um, with that, that's, that's basically the end of my presentation. I know it's a lot, especially for those who are new. Do you, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to um, try to answer those. All right, any questions? Uh, this is not really a question, Kate Lorenz, for board member, but I wanted to thank Britt for putting together this report. Um, I know as a new board member, it was really helpful for me to read the report, get a full picture of the um, the economic development investments, um, and to see some results of some of the former or longer running programs. So thank you, Britt. Appreciate it. This is Britt, and thank you, Kate. I think you're one of the few people that's ever thanked me for doing this report. <laughs> All right, what other questions are out there? All right, I do wanna note that Adam Ritchie has joined the meeting. Um, I believe he came on right as Britt started to present. So welcome, Adam. Um, if there aren't any other questions for Britt, then what we have to do as a board is approve the report and recommend that uh, it be forwarded on to the city commission for uh, review and approval. So does anybody wanna make a motion on that? 
I make a motion, Kate Lorenz, uh, I move to approve the report. All right, any seconds? And Michelle, this is John Matthews. I'd like to make a second. All right, any other comments before we take a vote? All right, we will take a roll call vote uh, based off of Kate's motion to accept the report as presented and John's second. So Brad? Aye. Christina? Aye. John? Aye. Kate? Aye. Patrick? Aye. Adam? Aye. And I'm an aye, so with seven votes for and uh, no nays, um, the motion carries to present the report from 2020 to the City Commission. Right, thank you. So the next thing on the agenda is everyone's favorite, and that is the review of the Kansas Open Meetings Act, COMA. So not sure who's presenting this. Is it Britta or Diane? I'm going to say Diane. <laughs> Hi, right. everybody. I'm Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager, and uh, here to present on this um, every everyone's favorite topic here. So this uh, Kansas Open Meetings Act, we like to make sure that new members in the orientation are are given a briefing about this important law in Kansas, and then also from time to time have an update for you all uh, related to the act so that um, you can be reminded of, um, of the importance of the act and, uh, and be mindful of this during the year. So I'm just going to briefly go through these slides that are available in your packet about the Kansas Open Meetings Act. So sorry, I'm gonna scroll through this. Um, in principle, the idea is that uh, the, the public's meeting should be public's business should be handled in public. And so um, information and the openness of the meetings is really important for the democratic process to be able to work. And here's a nice quote um, out of the law itself talking about um, the importance of the affairs of the city and other governmental entities being open. The Kansas Open Meetings Act applies when the body is a covered entity, which this one is, and there is a meeting, which we'll further define here. So again, all uh, different governmental agencies um, of the state, um, including the city and city advisory boards are covered under the act. And for a meeting, there must be three different conditions that occur. Um, a gathering of a majority of the members of the body, um, an interactive communication um, in person by telephone or another medium, even social media, which we'll talk about here in, in a bit, and a discussion of the business and affairs of the body. So first you have to have a majority of the membership of a body, which for a PERC is um, eight, uh, which is an eight member board, is the five, um, five members of of your body uh, constitutes a majority or a quorum to be able to do business. And then uh, again, uh, communication has to be interactive between uh, those that are involved in the discussion. So that is um, clearly applies when you all are together as a group, but also telephone calls, including conference calls um, or other kinds of briefing or online 
uh, communications when there's the ability for it to be interactive can also be included, um, such as email. So as you can see, a lot of times when we're sending um, you all information by email, we're encouraging you all not to reply all or not to generate email communications amongst the body because that can trigger the um, Kansas Open Meetings uh, Act. So um, social gatherings themselves aren't um, subject to coma if there's not a discussion of the business of the body. But when, um, when you all are in a social gathering and if, um, if five of you happen to be together talking about the activities of the Public Incentive Review Committee, uh, that would be an example that it would trigger um, um, what, what should have been a meeting. Um, also, conferences um, that are attended by members, um, if it's of general interest and there's not a discussion about the, the action of the body itself, then uh, that would not be considered a meeting. The Attorney General has talked about a lot of um, questions related to electronic communications, and again, um, you know, kind of sending a single email out to everyone isn't an issue, but when that becomes an interactive conversation, even if it's just about setting a meeting date or something like that, that can be um, interactive and uh, cause an issue with the Kansas Open Meetings Act. So that's why when we're talking about scheduling a meeting, we're sending something to you all, asking you all not to reply all, but um, to get information um, um, uh, just in one direction, essentially. Um, again, we encourage everyone to not have an online discussion um, through email. And um, if you receive an email from the city, don't reply all because then that has a tendency to encourage everybody else to do that. Um, and so we, we suggest that you avoid that function. Then there's a thing called serial meetings. And this would be an example of where um, um, say the five members that constitute a majority of your board, that there's a discussion amongst member one and member two. And then um, member two talks with member three and four, and then member four talks with member five. Um, so that while there's not a uh, discussion of everyone at the same time, there's a continuation of a discussion that involves the majority of folks and again, if it's about the affairs of the of the body, um, then then that could would be an, a problem under the Kansas Open Meetings Act. So again, in review, the Kansas Open Meetings Act applies um, with this with this body, and if there's a meeting um, as defined in the statute. Um, all of the meetings of the entities have to be open to the public and proper notice is given. Um, and proper notice is that um, uh, we have to send out any uh, information about the meeting to those who have requested it, which Britt can, uh, has a list of. And also meetings must be held in public places that's accessible to the general public. So the staff uh, of the city handles all of this for, for you and make sure that these appropriate notices get sent out. So the notice includes the date, time, and um, location of the meeting. The Kansas Open Meetings Act doesn't require an agenda, but as you all know, we do um, prepare agendas for this uh, group uh, for 
posting so that the public is knowledgeable about the general topics that are going to be discussed. The act does provide some ability to have executive sessions under very limited circumstances, but city advisory board should not be having an executive session without the prior approval of the city attorney's office. And there's really not a need for uh, the public incentive review committee to have that under its purview. There's a variety of ramifications if there's problems with the Kansas Open Meetings Act requirements, including you know, various penalties um, that can accrue to the individual, and none of us would want that to occur. So that that's the reason for us to include this in orientation and also as regular reminders uh, for you all um, to consider so that you're aware and kind of mindful of, of that discussion. Also, one of the recent things that has occurred is the, the Kansas Attorney General has been asked to weigh in on social media as a means of communication. And um, there's been a determination that that can be interactive because as you all know, uh, postings on social media can really occur very quickly and responses can occur. So again, if you are um, involved in um, social media and you happen to see a post related to the action of this body, it would be best to be very cautious of, um, of having a conversation on there that, um, that could be seen outside of the, the light of what would be your posted meeting for the group. And with that, I will be happy to um, answer any questions that you may have. Any questions for Diane? Such a quiet group today. All right. Well, thank you, Diane. Um, we always hear something new every year when we get this, so I appreciate it. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess I want to ask a little bit about the Facebook. Um, I know if any time I make a comment, even if it's not about a, an activity or an item that we voted on, um, but it's city, I will always mention that I'm a member of PER just in case it gets misconstrued in any way because, you know, people have a way of twisting things when it comes to economic development. Is that okay to do? Uh, yes, I can. You can certainly uh, do that, and um, and probably being clear about your role is good. Um, um, but uh, again, I think the purpose of this for talking about the Kansas Open Meetings Act is just to emphasize um, being careful about commenting on a thread um, and having all the board members weigh in somehow on on some commentary. Um, but um, as long as you do that, I, I don't think there, there's any problem with the social media aspect. Cool. All right. Um, so that's all the items on our agenda. Is, are there any other items that any one um, on the board would like to bring up? Michelle, I did have one other thing. This is Kate. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure where in discussion um, this would best fit, but I was wondering if um, how we as a board or board members could go about receiving a little more information um, in the reporting about um, climate impacts, sustainability, and then also about some of the diversity, equity, inclusion um, aspects that I think Christina in particular was asking about last time. I know, um, and, and me as well, I know that 
Um, there are bits in the materials, um, and I know that folks are, are happy to answer questions that the board members may have, um, but I was just sort of wondering what information may be available um, about those aspects um, currently, or if this is something that we could ask um, the businesses and initiatives um, some more questions about, or if it's something to potentially include on um, future um, applications. Um, so just kind of wanted to throw that out there. I'm not sure if this is a question for Britt or for the city commission, um, but in reviewing the materials as um, comprehensive as they were, I found myself um, both in terms of my role as a board member and just as a, a citizen, um, a Laurentian, um, having some questions um, that I just wasn't quite sure um, where those fit in to what was available or to what we might be able to ask. Good question. Um, Britt, do you have any input on that? Well, I'm, I, I'm not exactly sure I understand, but basically the report follows what is required in our economic development policy. So if it's not in the economic development policy, it's probably not going to be reflected in the report. So if you're talking about something that we would change in the policy, you know, that, that would be, um, I think that would be a whole different ball game. And when you talk about sustainability and climate also, I know that Jasmine Moore at the county is working on the, um, the climate action plan. And so until something like that is developed, I'm not sure that we have uh, a guideline to, to follow, to even change policy. Um, then maybe Diane can throw in some additional thoughts on all of this. Yes, maybe just to add something. Um, so um, the uh, the city recently adopted a new strategic plan framework, and we've been having new information come out about that. If you're not familiar with that, I would really encourage you to take a look at that on the city's website. Uh, there are um, a variety of outcome areas that look at the the, the strategic um, outcomes that the city is looking to achieve. So that's kind of talking about um, what we're doing with our work. And, um, and one of those is prosperity and economic security, which um, aligns exactly with the work of the Public Incentive Review Committee. And then we have um, commitments that are outlined in our strategic plan, which define how the city goes about doing its work. So um, related to uh, diversity and inclusion, um, that and environmental sustainability are commitment areas. Uh, so they will really be guiding the city's work in how we're achieving the outcomes and, um, and how we're doing um, economic development work. And this has been a topic kind of ongoing. Um, we do have some sustainability elements in the city's economic development policy now. My guess is that those will be continued to be looked at as we proceed with implementing the city's strategic plan. And then also the, um, the city recently adopted the economic development strategic plan. So it's a little more specific to the work of economic development. And there's actually quite a bit of crossover with the two areas that you were interested in, um, Kate, um, um, environmental sustainability and uh, diversity, um, equity and inclusion. 
And for example, um, there's um, some crossover between the city strategic plan and the economic development strategic plan in the way of um, uh, black indigenous pe people of color and the number of business, uh, business ownership rate um, by that group and women owned businesses. Uh, that is an item that came out in the uh, in both strategic plan discussions and will be one of the things that we'll be trying to measure as we move proactively in economic development. So while the document you're talking about today is primarily a reactive one because it's measuring what we've done in the past, I think you will see more and more moving toward and therefore it re being reflected in this economic development report, um, what we're trying to achieve in all of these um, um, new strategic areas, and we'll, we'll be having a very active dashboard that's measuring these things in ways that we really haven't done before that'll all be kind of part of that story, too. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to that. No, thank you, Diane. This is Kate Lorenz. That was super helpful, and I, I did kind of get the sense that there was a lot that was coming, you know, in the new plans and the, the things that the sustainability office is working on um, that may be um, factored into reporting in the future. So that's very helpful. And thank you, Britt. So. Yeah. I just might add, this is Britt Kramkano um, again. Uh, what I envision is that we're probably going to have a separate economic development action plan, uh, hopefully every year. And we would uh, be reporting out on the strategies around that action, uh, uh, the strategies the actions around each of those strategies and those strategies are equity and inclusion and they are uh, sustainability and all that. But I envision it being a separate report because the data is going to be pretty, pretty different. Um, but uh, that's still in the works. Thank you. Great. Um, this is Michelle again. Thanks, Diane and Britt um, for explaining that. And Kate, did that help? But the explanation? It did very much. Thank you. Uh -huh. All right. Any other questions from the group? Hi, this is Christina Gentry, um, member. Um, thank you, Kate, for bringing up that. We are kind of a quiet group today. Maybe it's just because of the long weekend and uh, maybe just because I'm coming back from vacation. But um, uh, to, to kind of compound on Kate's question, um, maybe this will also be answered during some of the new strategic planning that's I hear is still underway. Um, but I would like to ask what kind of toolkits we'll use as a measurement uh, for some of the opportunities that we're giving for the city to look at and to vote upon the economic development uh, processes or any of the other opportunities as a board member that we get to really look at the maybe the unintended consequences uh, that would create less equitable outcomes. Um, so maybe a little bit more information and, and some, some more context can be given from maybe Bridge or someone else here to, to maybe touch upon that so we can look forward to what communication looks like in the future for us in that subject. Yeah, this is Brooke Kramkano, Economic Development Administrator. Again, Christina, what I'm envisioning is a pretty substantial economic development action plan or implementation plan where you're going to see we've got 21 strategies in the community economic development plan and around those we are trying to form working groups for each one of those and then this report would be reporting out on what each of those working groups 
are working on and what they're achieving and um, what kind of outcomes they hope to um, to uh, achieve. And I envision it coming to this board at um, probably on an annual basis as well. It probably won't, we probably won't have anything until 2022 because these groups are just forming and we're just starting out on this journey. But that's that would be my goal is that we would have an actual implementation plan where you see the action plans of each of these groups and what they're working on specific to, to their strategy. This is Christina Gentry. Thank you for that, Britt. I'm just curious about, you know, I know we're using the, the gear toolkit and we've also talked about other equity and, and inclusion toolkits that uh, seem to be very helpful in other spaces. Um, with our um, unified command, uh, there is also an equity impact advisory group. And I'm just curious too, is how maybe that that structure of, of making like equity officers, as you will, will also be part of the plan. So I'm looking forward to seeing what those strategies are and who those people who are um, involved in those strategies um, are, are, are as well. So uh, just looking forward to 2022 and the options that we have uh, as a community to try to implement more of a structure of sustainability and equity and inclusion so that it's not an afterthought, but a forethought. One of the things I can tell you, Christina, is that Jill Jolliker is heading up the working group for uh, equity and inclusion, the strategy and our economic development strategic plan around that. And she's bringing the whole uh, Douglas County Community Health Anti-Poverty Jobs Focus Group in, and they're going to be the working group on that. So if you're familiar with what they're working on, and I think you are, you'll have a pretty good idea because that that's the group that's going to drive that, that particular strategy. Perfect. Thank you very much. This is Christina Gentry. Thank you very much, Britt, for that information. All right. This is Michelle again. And it sounds like, Christina, that answered that for you. Is that correct? All right. Any other questions? All right. Um, on that note, do we have a motion to adjourn? Do we need to take public comment, Michelle? Oh, yes. Go ahead. No, this is Commissioner Kelly. I'm just making sure it's on our agenda. Did we take public comment? Did we offer public comment? That's on our agenda. Did I miss it? Um, I don't think we had any public members on, correct, Britt? Yeah, this is Britt Kramkana. We don't have anybody here in the room for public comment. Thank you. This is Commissioner Kelly. Just wanted to make sure we didn't skip over that before we adjourned. Yeah, sorry. I should have mentioned that with Zoom, it's a little easier to track. And so uh, I didn't ask for it because we didn't have any. But if, uh, yeah. So did somebody say we don't have to actually take a motion to adjourn? Okay. Do we want a motion to adjourn? Michelle, this is John Matthews. I'd like to make a motion for adjournment. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. 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 Do I need a roll call for that, Britt? I am not sure. Diane, do we need to do that? I guess it's okay. Not. It appears to be overwhelmingly in favor. <laughs> okay. All right. 
I get mixed messages as to whether we vote for adjournment or not on certain meetings. So, all right, everyone, thank you for taking time out of your day to join today and have a great week. And we will be in touch soon. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.